The word of the Lord says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be in God's house with God's people. Amen. I hope you uh, are enjoying fall break, though it does not feel like fall at all. Uh, I look forward to the fall weather coming. Uh, Just a few announcements, then we'll pray and get started uh, in God's word this morning. Uh, On October the 16th, that is this coming Saturday at 11 o'clock here at the church, is a memorial service for uh, Barry Barrett. So that's uh, this Saturday at 11 o'clock here at uh, the church, a memorial service. Also, the Children's Committee is requesting bags uh, of Halloween candy for a trunk or treat on Saturday, October the 23rd. Uh, The donation box or tub bucket is in the back of the sanctuary. Please uh, bring your candy and put it there. That's for uh, the trunk or treat. Also, uh, if you're willing to volunteer your trunk for the trunk or treat, um, please sign up. There's a sign-up sheet in the back for that. Or see myself or Tracy or uh, Miss Jerry so we can sign you up. Um, And there will be a chili cook-off. I've been told to ask Jonathan not to participate this year because he wins every year. So, uh, Lauren, I'll let you tell him that. He's not allowed to participate because every year he's won uh, the chili cook-off. So, good luck. He does make some good chili, though. Uh, And then last, uh, there is a business meeting this Wednesday, uh, but we need, uh, at the office uh, right behind me, are the 2022 financial uh, budget requests for all the chairmen of each um, of the committees. Those need to be filled out and given back to Jonathan uh, by next Sunday. So if you're a chairman of a committee, please fill those uh, requests, budget requests out, get those to Jonathan and the finance uh, team so they can begin to prepare next year's uh, budget. At this time, I'd like to pray as we've been praying the last several months for a youth pastor in our time together, and then we'll jump into God's word here in Luke chapter 11. Let's pray together. Gracious God, your kindness overwhelms us. So often our eyes and hearts do not see your kindness, but even being here this morning is your kindness to us. Just your sovereignty, your being in control of all things, giving us the air to breathe, allows us to come into your place of worship, and I pray that we would do that this morning. We continue to submit ourselves to you and to your reign and rule uh, over this church. Now we come and ask, as we've been asking for several months, That you would lead us and guide us as we search for a youth pastor. That you would bring uh, someone to us that has a heart for you, a heart for youth. A heart that would really do exactly what your word says. It would train up uh, these young men and women to be fully devoted disciples of you. To take your gospel message uh, into a lost world. As you 
um, have taught us um, that you are with us always. I, I pray that you would bring that individual to us. And now, God, I pray that as we would begin to search outside this body as we've asked you, uh, that you would bring someone to us or someone within would rise. But if not, God, in October, we'd begin the process to look outside of ourselves. And so I pray, God, now that you would, uh, even on Wednesday night as we talk about this in our business meeting, you would lead us and guide us as a church as we look to you um, as the one that leads this church as you pour out your wisdom on us. And now, God, I pray that you would walk with us and be with us through the Holy Spirit, that we would come to your word that's been inspired by you, that's infallible and without error, that you would use your word to transform us, to make us more like Christ. Whether we have no relationship with you at all, if there's anyone in here that does not know you, that this morning you would use your word uh, to illuminate their hearts and they would surrender their will and their life over to you. For us who is the, who are the believers this morning, that we would walk away knowing you more deeply and that we would fall in love with you more deeply and that we would become holy as you are holy. So lead us, guide us as we journey uh, into this last week of this prayer that you gave us. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. We've been here in this passage for seven weeks. This will conclude this um, this study, this series through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, with God's willingness um, and His graciousness next week, my hope is, unless something changes between now and next Sunday, we will begin the study through the book of Esther. And that is my hope and prayer, that we're going to look through uh, over the next several weeks, maybe months, through uh, that great book, the book of Esther. It's an amazing book uh, that shows us God's heart for God's people. But here we are in Luke chapter 11 as we conclude this passage. This passage of Scripture was given to us by God to show us the model for prayer. My hope for these last really seven, eight weeks has been this, that we would become a dependent church that depends on the Lord through prayer. We, we know our dependence on the Lord if you just take and examine your prayer life. That will show you your dependence on the Lord. If you're not praying to God, it's, you are in essence saying, I'm not depending on you, God. That is our primary vehicle to the Lord for his strength and provision is through uh, prayer. Thank God that he allows us to come into his throne room to pray and cry out to our holy God. What we've been looking at are these six petitions. There's six petitions that Christ Jesus told us to pray. Remember that the disciples had been watching Jesus pray and they'd been seeing the power of the Holy Spirit come on Jesus after he prayed to do these miraculous things. And what the, the disciples said to Jesus in essence was, hey, we notice what you're doing and the power that's coming through you how do we get that same power and he says to them hey this is how you do it you do it through a consistent prayer life and then he says to them pray these six things and this is the model these are the six things all these petitions are going to point us to God that's why it's called the Lord's Prayer it's not because the Lord prayed it it's really because all these petitions this prayer is pointing us heavenly to show us where our only dependence should come from. Those six things are this. The first three point us to God himself. It says this, that the first word in the prayer is Father. It's reminding us that we have a heavenly Father, a good Father. 
that wants to provide for his children. The next thing in the petition is this, or in the prayer is this, we're reminded of his holiness, the character of God. So Jesus is going to show us he's the father, but he's a holy God. He's a holy father. Then he says not only is he holy, but he's the king of all things. And then Jesus moves in the last three petitions. Of the last three, point us to our need to that God. So the first three are to reveal to us who God is, but then Jesus says, you have to understand who God is so you can bring your needs to God. The three needs are this, that we would ask God for daily provision. That's our daily bread. Then we're asking, we saw this last week, that we're asking God for forgiveness. It's only God that can bring ultimate forgiveness to us through his son, Jesus. And then this morning, we'll look at this, that God, the holy God, the king of all things, and the good father is also our protection. He's going to say, this is the passage this morning, lead us not into temptation. One writer says it this way. I love this when I was studying this week. He calls it the five S's of the Lord's Prayer. Or the five S's of who God is in the text. So taking notes, those, uh, excuse me, those six S's are this. The first thing is we see God as the source of all of our needs. We see the source, the Father. Not only do we see the source, but we see him as sacred. He's holy. Then we see him as sovereign. He rules over all things. Then we see him as supplier. He's the one that provides for us. Then last week we saw him as savior, the one who forgives. And this morning we'll look at him as the shelter or the protector. So this morning we're going to come to God and ask God that he would be our protector. Without him... There's no way that we will not be led into temptation. We do not have enough self-will not to be led into temptation. We need a source greater than ourselves that would lead us to a place of protection or shelter. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. What does he say? God is our what? Our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. We must believe this morning. And do you believe this morning that God is your shelter or God is your protector? Because if not, you will not run to him and ask that he would not lead us into temptation. There is a caveat here in the text, and it comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. We have to look at the Lord's Prayer both in Matthew 6 and here in Luke 11 in its entirety to understand really what Jesus is saying. Because if you come to this verse in verse 4 of chapter 11 of the great gospel of Luke we read it this way and lead us not in temptation so many people have looked at this passage and thought to themselves why would we ask God not to lead us into temptation because we know this to be true God doesn't lead anyone to temptation correct so many scholars have taken this verse to say Yes, see, he's going to lead us to temptation. He wants us to be tempted. But James says the contrary. This is the brother of Jesus. In James chapter 1, verse 13, this is why we know that God is not the one to lead us in temptation. And so we need to understand what does Jesus say when he says this. But it's going to come out of James chapter 1, 13. He says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts 
no one. So what is Jesus saying when he says, lead us not into temptation? We got to read again in its entirety. We look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. This is what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord prayed this prayer. He said this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. So we take the verse in Matthew and here in Luke and look at it in its entirety. So what Jesus is saying, there is one who leads us to temptation. It's not God. We know that from James. And so what I want to look at this morning are three things based on these few words. Those few things are this. We must know the one who leads us to temptation. Right? If we look at the passage and Jesus is saying to us not to be led into temptation, then we got to look at to who's the one that's going to lead us to temptation. Because we're asking God not to lead us to temptation, therefore, we can automatically assume that someone is trying to lead us to temptation. We need to look at the one who leads us to temptation. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, his name is the evil one. So I'm going to look at the evil one first. Then we must look at the word us. Who are we? If Jesus is saying don't let us, the believer, be led into temptation, we have to have a better understanding of who we are. We need to understand our enemy. We need to understand ourselves. But then we need to understand the one who is going to not lead us into temptation. So we're going to look at the evil one. We're going to look at ourselves. And then we're going to look at the Savior or the protector or our shelter. So let's start with the first one. Who is the evil one? This is what Paul says. And I hope this is true for you. I hope this is true for ourselves. I think this is what we don't believe. I don't think we really believe that we have an evil one. I don't think we really believe that we're in a war. Every morning that you wake up, every morning that I wake up and put my feet and take my breath, we are at a constant war. We've been at war with the evil one since Genesis chapter 3. We are in that war today. Turn on the news. You'll see it over and over and over. There is an evil one. Do you believe that this morning? Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We know that we, here on this planet, there is a constant war between good and evil, between God and Satan. That's what happened at the fall. Remember, not the fall here on the planet, not between Adam and Eve. There was a fall before the fall. Do you know that? The fall happened when this evil one satan lucifer said to god in heaven hey what you have i want and that that's true if we're honest with ourselves that's what we're saying to god every day what you have this holiness this perfection this grandness i really want that and so there was a fall satan came with a third of the angels to god and said Hey, we want what you have. We want to sit on that throne and be sovereign over all things. We want the holiness that you have. And God said, that's not how it works. 
God said, I will not give my glory to any other. And what does he do? He casts the evil one, Lucifer, out of heaven and into a pit and says, you cannot be here. And from that time on, we've been at a constant war. Then Adam and Eve show up. God creates Adam and God creates Eve and, and says to them, hey, you're made in our likeness. And then what did it say? The serpent came and deceived them. And how did the deceiver deceive him? The same way that he was deceived himself. You will become like what? God. That's the primary instrument that Satan's always going to use to us to deceive us. Hey, you can become like God. And that's the war that we live in today. That's where all that is going on in the world. It's people wanting power that only God has. Do we believe that to be true? That we are at a constant war. Here's what Jesus said about the evil one in John 10.10. The thief or the evil one comes what? Only to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the primary thing is to rob God of his glory through steal, kill, and destroying the people of God. Which means we're at war with an evil one. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded and be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, or the evil one, prowls around like what? A roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do we really believe that we have an adversary that wants to kill us? We must know our enemy. Again, I've never served this country. I'm grateful for every man and woman that has served the country. And I've talked to many of them. And when you talk to men and women that go to war, men and women that go to war don't go in haphazardly, do they? They know what? Their enemy. They are studying and studying and studying and studying the enemy so that they know how to attack the enemy. But I think we are foolish Christians that, A, don't believe we're at war and, believe, and don't believe that there's an enemy wanting to devour us and attack us. And so we're not doing our homework to know the enemy. So who is this person? Who is this creature? Who is this Satan? Who is the evil one? There's thousands of characteristics of Satan. And I don't have time to go into all of them this morning. I just want to point out five this morning. This first one is this, that he is powerful. He's not all powerful, but he is powerful. You can look at the book of, of Job to know how powerful he is. Re remember that conversation that God and Satan had. It, it, God said to Satan, Satan comes to heaven and God says, have you been searching the earth? And Satan says, I, I have been searching the earth. And he says, have you stumbled across my servant Job, the blameless one? And he says, yes, I've stumbled across Job. This is the Todd International Version. This is not what the Bible says. I, I'm just retelling the story, the, the way that hopefully it will capture our attention. And so Satan says, yes, I've seen Job. And then Satan says, but Job only serves you because of all that you do for him. And God says, well, then you can take all of it from him. 
but do not touch him. And what does Satan do? Satan leaves heaven and in all of his power destroys all that Job has. Takes all of his livestock. He takes his children. That's a powerful being. Think about that for a moment. That this power can take things from us if he desires through the permission of God. I'll say it that way. But he has the power with the permission of God to to take anything he wants from us. He is powerful. Do we believe that this morning? The next thing is this. Not only is he powerful, but I know this to be true in my life. I would believe this to be true in your life. He is persistent. Is he not? That dude never gives up. He's powerful and he's persistent. He is, another word, he is relentless. One of my mentors said it this way. No matter how much I study God's word, no matter how much I'm in prayer, no matter how much I want to be holy, no matter how much I devote myself to God, I've got an adversary that's doing push-ups waiting for me in the parking lot. Meaning he's getting ready for me. As much as I'm working out, he's working out tenfold. He's a persistent, persistent person. Not only is he powerful, not only is he persistent, but is he not super deceptive or cunning? Remember back in the garden, Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. And God had given them all things. He said, you can have everything in this garden, but that one tree, please, don't eat of it. At least you surely die. And then it says that the serpent, the deceiver, the liar comes, is more crafty than all the beasts, it says. And what does he say? Did God surely say? He used God's word just enough to deceive them. He wasn't so blatant to lie to them, but he deceived them in such a way that they believed the lie. God didn't really say that. God, that's not really what God says. That's not really what God's word says. Turn on the news. How are we in the mess we're in? It didn't just start overnight, church. Satan has been deceiving us little by little by little by little. As you know, if you're sailing on a boat and you get one degree off course, by the end of your journey, you are going to be as far away from your destination as possible. Just one degree. That's all Satan has to do with his deceptive lies is to get us one degree off of our focus on God. One degree. By the end of our life, we're as far away from God as we've ever been before. And we often wonder, how did I end up here? How did I end up in this mess? Because we believed the lies of the deceiver. Not only is he powerful, not only is he persistent, not only is he deceptive and cunning, but here's the one of all of them. He is the great accuser. 
think about all those times in your life when you sinned against the holy God and you've asked for, for repentance and for forgiveness. Think about that little voice in your head. You're, you're too bad to be forgiven. You're too, you fill in the blank. That little voice is the voice of accusation. How often do we do, do believe that voice over the voice, and what I'll get in a moment, of truth? We believe the lies. We see his persistent power, his cunning, deceptive lies. So how is that true? Like, how do we come to that place to believe that? Well, the next thing I want to look at is ourselves. We've got to understand who Satan is, but we also have to understand ourselves. Now, again, if you've served in war, men and women that serve in war will often, what, count the cost before they go into war. If you're a good soldier with a good general, with a good officer above you, that officer is doing all of his homework to know what he has behind him, to know, hey, can I take what I have and go attack the enemy? Or you have some foolish, foolish generals that are just like, let's just go for it. This sounds good. Like, you know, we don't do that. You both know your enemy, and, and you know what you bring to war. So who are we? What are we bringing to the table? Well, the first thing is this. If Satan is all-powerful, the first thing that we must believe about ourselves is we are weak. We are weak creatures that have no power to resist the evil one. How do we know that? Because in the passage it says here, let us, us is the key, Lead us not into temptation. It doesn't say give me the power. It doesn't say I have the power to resist. It says, hey, there's something about me that I'm dependent on something else greater than myself. So do you believe this morning that you are weak? If you're weak, it leads me to the next thing. Weak people are what? Needy people. So we're weak and we're needy. If we're weak and we're needy, then it says this, we ought to be dependent. Weak and needy people are dependent on other things, are they not? But how often, church, do we believe that we're more powerful than Satan? That we're not needy, that because we have all the power, we don't need a power greater than ourselves to fight this adversary. And therefore, we're not dependent on God, we're self-dependent or self reliant what happens to people that believe they're powerful that believe that they're not needy and that have self-dependence they crumble every time again turn on the news just turn on any station right now look at all the people pastors that are falling in ministry there's so many right now. It is terrifying. How come? Because they really didn't believe they were weak. Because they had risen to a place of power in a pulpit that said they're untouchable, unstoppable, which means they weren't needy for godly men around them 
to find a place of confession and repentance, and therefore they were self-reliant. And over time, men in the pulpit, women can be true of this too, they will always fall. And so I would ask you, do you know your adversary? But second, do you know yourself? Do you know that you're an I, a weak, needy, dependent people? Because if we're weak and needy and dependent, then we'll turn back to the passage and we'll understand that therefore we have somewhere to run. We have shelter. We have protection. What we had last week, we have a Savior. So next, because you know your enemy, you know yourself, but the most important is this, do you know your Savior? Do you know who he is? I don't know, I'm not talking about know him. I'm talking about know him. There's a lot of people that know about God. They do not know him. There's a whole lot of people that have more knowledge about God than I do and you do, but they are so far from God. It's not the knowledge of knowing God. It's the believing and trusting who that God is. So I'd say this, do you know you have a Savior? Here's the beautiful part about this Savior. What the writer of Hebrews says. Do you know that you have a Savior who's been tempted in every way you've been tempted? Every way that you've been tempted, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. For we do not have a high priest or a savior or one that stands before us making a a petition for us to a holy God. For do we not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness? But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We cannot say that we do not have a savior who's never been tempted the way we've been tempted because God's word says, Hey, every temptation you face, he faced the same thing. Every temptation, Jesus, the Savior, our protector, our shelter, has been tempted. He's been tempted. No wonder Jesus can stand before a holy God and give a defense. Because he knows what he's defending. Weak, needy, dependent people on him. And he can be reminded I remember what it was like to be like them, tempted in every way without sin. Remember what happened to Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. That's right when Jesus is going to begin his earthly ministry. It says that he's led into the desert and was tempted for 40 days. 40 relentless days of Jesus being tempted. Over and over and over and over again. We have three accounts of it, but it says he was there for 40 days being tempted. So when I read that passage, I don't think three individual times. I think 40 relentless days of being tempted. And yet Jesus, for those 40 days, was without sin. Now I'm going to get to the application of how we resist temptation because it's found in that passage. We see again that he's tempted the night before his death in the garden. Remember, Jesus goes away and he prays. And what does he pray? Because he's tempted to give up the cross because he doesn't want to endure the cross. That's what he says to his heavenly father. Hey, I don't want to do this. 
He's tempted not to do the very thing that God sent him to do, which was die on a cross. Satan is always going to tempt us. And he says, again, he comes back in that prayer and he comes to his disciples in Matthew 26. Remember what he says to his disciples when he's praying that very prayer. He comes to them three times and then the third time he comes to his disciples and says to, catches them sleeping. And what does he say to them in Matthew 26, 41? He says to them, stay awake and pray, lest you too be tempted. I'm tempted, you pray for me, pray for yourselves that you aren't tempted. In every way, Jesus was tempted. But we have a Savior who in every way was tempted, but without sin. So who is our Savior? If Satan is all, if Satan is powerful, we will have one who is all powerful. One that's more powerful than Satan. Do we believe that? We have a persistent enemy, but we have a patient Savior. We have a deceiver in Satan, but we have a truth teller in God, in Christ. And unlike Satan, an accuser, we have one that tells the truth about us. Doesn't accuse us, but welcomes us. Again, do we know who Christ is and do we believe who Christ is? We have a Savior who's all-powerful, all-loving, and all-caring. And so how do we come back to this passage? How do we learn from Jesus and say, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and here in Luke chapter 11, how do we say, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Because Paul says it this way. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, what does he say about temptation? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way of escape so that you may endure the temptation. So how does God not allow us to be tempted beyond what he, we can bear and to endure the temptation? We go back and we see the model of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. Turn there for just a moment. It says, then Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It said, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the evil one. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came. You were really the son of God. Remember the deceiver, deceiving him just a little. If you're really the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the evil one, the devil, took him to the holy city and set him on top of the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, 
lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God with all with him and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. So how did Jesus resist temptation? Through one way and one way only, through the word of God. So if you want to be led out of temptation, I would commend you, I'd command you, I'd plead with you, know the word of God. Again, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, all the armor of God but one is all about defense, except for one. What's the one offensive weapon that we have? Sword, the sword of the word of God, the word of God we must yield. And Jesus, through Paul, says it this way. If you yield the word of God, and you present the word of God to Satan, it says this, Satan will flee from you. That is what we see modeled in the life of Christ, the one who was tempted in all that we were tempted, and he wielded the word of God, and the word of God three different times was the thing that finally put the devil on his defense and left Christ alone. Do you know the word of God this morning? The psalmist says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that what i might not sin against you psalm 119 11 if you were being tempted and you're falling into temptation i'd ask you this do you know the word of god have you stored up god's word in your heart do you use it as an offensive weapon that god has given us not to be led into temptation because the promise in Luke and in Matthew is this, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we must come back to who we are. We were weak, we were helpless, in and of ourselves, we are needy, and we are dependent. But where do we turn? Do we turn to God and to his word? through our weakness, our neediness, and our dependence. What are we using to defend ourselves against temptation? You and I do not have enough self-will not to continue to fall back into sin. But we do have a Savior who's all-powerful, all-loving, all-caring, that gives his word to us freely to fight the enemy. May we fight well. Know the enemy, know yourself, know your Savior, and know the Word of God. Let me pray for us.